Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. How many of you were singing this song? With every breath I breathe, with every song I sing, I want to shout it out, Lord, I'm listening. To every word you speak, I'll go where you will lead. To love the least of these, my greatest offering. Shoot. (laughs) Did you really sing that? (laughs) Do you know what it says? I mean, I'm a little frustrated by that. Love the least of these. I'll go where you will lead. To every word you speak, I'll go where you will lead. That is a dangerous statement for the church. That is a dangerous reality for us, if we take that seriously. This morning I want to talk about how God speaks, that God is a God who speaks. We just finished a series, a six-week series on the markers of the garden. And I want to talk about something that we'll look at next week as well, how we can hear God's voice. Um, it, when I was uh, 18 years old and went to college in 2002, I was at UCSB and I was living uh, a life in the world. I had rejected the church. I had um, left the church and I had tried to convince other Christians at UCSB to follow my path in leaving the church and Jesus. Um, and I was partying. I filled my life with all sorts of stuff. And I remember um, partying one night and I was carrying a Dixie, Dixie cup, a red cup full of alcohol drinking. And I showed up to this house uh, where they passed out free cheeseburgers. And as a drunk, poor college kid, that was a really good thing. And um, I walked in and it was a ministry and the cheese, they called them Jesus burgers, right? We have some Jesus burgers followers. All right. Yeah. And I, and I had left the church and this ministry passed out free cheeseburgers to uh, college students that were partying in Isla Vista. And, uh, and I walked in and they, they saw my cup and, and this woman came walking towards me and I was like, here they go. I, here they come. She's walking with a purpose. You know, I know she's got a track to hand me. She's got something to convince me about, and I'm, I'm ready. And she just came up to me, handed me a cheeseburger, and she said, hey, uh, when you're walking in Isla Vista and you, you keep your cup like this, I noticed that it was up, and um, cops will give you a ticket because you're a minor and you're drinking in public. So turn your cup upside down. And um, in all of my confusion and lostness, uh, God spoke to me, and I heard in my heart, what are you doing? And I ran home uh, to an apartment, and I fell to my knees. This is all true. I left everything, including the, cheese, the free cheeseburger, which was a big deal. <laughs> and I gave my life back to Jesus at that moment. A couple years later, uh, I, a year later, I started going to a church called Rock Harbor. And um, I, I, was, uh, I studied theater my entire life. I wanted to be an actor. From the time I was little, all I wanted to be was a, an actor in Hollywood. And I wanted to do, to do theater. I studied theater. I was, I was t- developing my craft. I went to UCSB for that. And then I was going to transfer to another school because I left that because of my new faith. And I found myself at a school called Vanguard, which was a Christian school. And I had to take this one Bible class and had four theater classes at Vanguard and and, um, and I was passionate about acting in theater, but I went to this church and I was sitting in this church at the seven o'clock service and this pastor named Mike Iria, who a, a, I'm a fan of and he's a friend of mine and he's a mentor, he's standing on stage and I have this picture as I'm worshiping in the back, like this, this size of a room, maybe 500 people, and I see myself on stage with him and I hear in my head, pastor, 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 pastors and lead leaders. 
And it, it, was, it was similar to that experience that I had at UCSB, but this was totally different. And uh, all of a sudden, that word and that image would not leave my mind. It was like a virus, right? And all of a sudden, my passion for acting was gone. My one Bible class became, my whole life, I became so passionate about serving God and reading the Bible and serving other people. I started serving in youth ministry. And then I, I began to play around this idea. Is God calling me into ministry? I mean, we're all called into ministry, but do I have to go work for the church? Is that what he's calling me into? And I, I, over time, I realized at that moment as I'm standing in the back worshiping that God gave me a call. He spoke to me again. And it changed the course of my life. To leave acting was like, going to Africa. This is who I was. I mean, in my head, I heard voices. My drama teacher in high school saying, uh, 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 hearing her disappointment. All my friends hearing their disappointment. Are you going you're to give up acting for, to be a pastor? But I heard a voice. And it was in my heart. And it was in my head, it was an image, and I, and I, I began to listen, and I, I followed through with it, and it changed the course of my life. And then a few years later, I'm in India on a train, and of all places, I was living in Newport at the time, but I was in India, and I've told you this story, but while I was there on a train, halfway around the world, God says, says to me, plant a church in Long Beach. It's not an audible voice. It wasn't a sign in the sky. It was this still, small reminder deep inside of my soul that just said, plant a church in Long Beach. Yeah, go for it. That's it. And it cursed me. <laughs> because it was familiar like when he said, go into ministry. And it was even more familiar like when he said, what are you doing? God speaks fundamental. This is a fundamental reality. As Christians, we have to carry this reality well. That we have a God who speaks we have a God who speaks. And what I've known in my life um, and what I've observed in leading churches and communities and friends uh, in, in life with God is, is not the, this. It's not the, the question whether or not God speaks. I would say that most of us believe God speaks. Most of us, yes, he speaks. The question is, how do we hear his voice? How do we know it's really God? How do we know it's him speaking to me? How do we learn that? Now, we're going to talk about the practicals next week for us. But before we jump to practicals, this morning I have to, I have to let you in on something that I've realized over the years. And it's simply this, that we all carry dysfunctional views of God. And in our dysfunctional or inaccurate views of God, they hinder us from hearing his voice. You see, you could say, I'm too busy, I don't have time to read, I can't, I, I set out to pray, but he's just silent, uh, you know, and we fill our lives with all sorts of things, and the world has all, so many voices trying to communicate something to us that, oh, it's hard to hear his voice, but I think one of the main problems is we don't know what his voice sounds like because we don't know who he is in our life. We're worshiping the wrong type of God, and when we bring in our inaccurate views of God, it, it, it shapes our relationship with him. Would you agree? So some of those views that we have, we carry this, this idea that God is like a cosmic traffic cop. You know, the God who's waiting around the corner for us to speed past and he'll write us a ticket, you know, and he'll give us, it's that sin that we keep messing up on. He's just waiting to give us a ticket and say, I told you, I got you, I got you. Or the angry judge 
or the disapproving father. This is the one that I struggle with is the father that just, look, you're looking over your shoulder at the father who's always saying more. That's not good enough. You can do better. It's never going to be as good as you think. Do you know what I'm talking about? You worship the God that just never pleased with you anyways, the vending machine God. Right? You just, as long as you, you put in a couple of bucks here and there, you throw a couple of prayers up to the God in heaven, he'll give you what you want. Or the, the God who is, uh, um, the, the other God is one of my, my other favorites, which I'm blanking on now, so I'll have to go straight back to the notes, is uh, the God who is the, um, the uh, absentee landlord. It's just the God that you give a couple, you pay rent to and you, you call him out when you, need a pro- you have a problem, you need to fix something. And so all of these inaccurate views, and though these are oversimplified, of course, but all of these inaccurate views of God shape how we interact with God, how we interact and hear his voice. We, we, we hear those tones in our heads from that God. I mean, we all can understand that the dysfunctional and inaccurate views of someone or God will impact our relationship with them or God. Would you agree? Like in, in my relationship with my wife, um, uh, the number one thing we fight about and argue about is uh, where do you want to go eat? And, and, and usually it's, hey, where, wherever you want, wherever you want to go. Now, now she says that, right? But I do recall a time when I chose where I wanted to go and she didn't order anything on the menu, Right? And all of a sudden, because of that past experience, because of that, that former experience where I did decide where I wanted to go and it didn't please her, and, and I remember that in my psyche and in my memory, so now I'm sitting, you know, 10 years later, and I'm driving in the car, and I'm thinking about when she says wherever you want, she means you've got to figure it out. It's secret. <laughs> and all the brothers said, Amen. <laughs> Because it's so true. And what are we doing? We're bringing in our inaccurate views of what's reality. Our dysfunctional, our broken relationships. Uh, we bring in these, these perspectives that affect our present reality with our relationships. So my wife might say, she might actually say, hey, whatever you want. And she might actually mean that. And 99% of the time, I'm going straight to Chipotle. And I know she doesn't want Chipotle. But then I, I, I give in and I try to figure it out inside. So I navigate my life around this tension that I don't really know what she's saying. Are you with me? And we do this to God all the time. And so how do we hear his voice? What does he sound like? What would he be saying to us? And here's why I want to teach on this subject today. I believe the greatest as a pastor of a church, as someone that tries to make disciples, the greatest thing I can do for believers is help them hear the voice of God in their life. Because when people hear the voice of God, when a Jesus follower hears God's voice and obeys it, they are a gift to the world. They're released. When a community of Jesus followers collectively hear God's voice together and collectively obey God's voice together, they become an unstoppable force to be reckoned with in this world. Why do I want to teach about God's, how our God speaks? Because I want us to become an unstoppable force that the world will notice. You with me? So go to 1 Kings. I want to give you an illustration about how this um, idea of our inaccurate view of God shapes how we live and how we pray and how we hear his voice. 1 Kings chapter 18 um, 
I'll put this right here on purpose. First um, Kings chapter 18. So Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And he's one of the last prophets, okay? And that means that there were a bunch of them, and now he's one of the last ones. And, and Israel was designed to be a nation that represented God to all the other nations. They were to live in a way that would reveal God to the rest of the world through the law and through his presence. And they were to worship only the one true God, Yahweh of Israel, God who was the creator of the universe. But over time... The Israelites no longer obeyed that command. They began to worship other gods that were very popular during their time period. A god named Baal was a very popular god in the ancient Near Eastern, Near Eastern context. And so Elijah is just fed up. They're not listening. The, the king isn't listening. Um, uh, the, the rulers aren't listening. The priests, and they're not listening. And so he finally, he's finally fed up and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to get all of the prophets of Baal. And, and I'm the last prophet, and we're going to go up to the top of a mountain. We're going to build an altar, which is what they used to do. They would build altars and put um, various animals on them and burn them as a sacrifice. So they, they said, we're going to build this massive altar. And he said, the God who answers with fire is the one true God. So get all of your prophets, 450 of them. Let's go to the top of the mountain. You can build an altar and talk to your God. And, and whoever answers, whoever speaks, in other words, is the one true God. This is how we're going to figure out which God is actually God. Now look at this story in verse, um, verse 24 of 1 Kings. It says this, uh, chapter 18. Um, We'll start in uh, verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since you are so, there are so many of you. Um, call the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah uh, began to taunt them. Shout louder. He is surely a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy relieving himself or traveling. That's literally translated or busy is relieving himself somewhere, um, which is hilarious in my opinion. So anyways, or traveling. (sighs) Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But There was no response. No one answered and no one paid attention. So to understand what we're talking about with our distorted views of God, we have to understand that in the ancient Near Eastern context, they had a primitive consciousness and that's this. They saw that there were powers at work in the world and they didn't have control over those powers. They didn't have control over the rain, over the stars, over the sun, um, whether it, there was a drought. They didn't have control over the hunt, over the harvest. And so these powers in primitive cultures were given names. And they became gods that had to be worshipped. And because you never knew where you stood with those gods, you didn't know if they were angry or frustrated or disappointed or if they were checked out and absent like an absentee landlord. You didn't understand where you were with them, so you had to give more and more to them. 
You had to give more of your time, your energy, your resources. You had to give, give more of your, your income. You had to give more of, of, of your worship. You'd go to temples and you would pray. And, and it got to the point in some contexts where you would have to offer your firstborn child in a sacrifice for these other fake gods. I mean, that's primitive consciousness. And so they didn't understand where these powers, uh, where they stood with the powers that, that were outside of them. And so they would manage their life and organize their life, navigating the tensions between where they thought they stood with those powers. And the picture we have is primitive context. Baal, uh, the, the prophets of Baal, this is an altar right here. I made it for you. No, I didn't make it. It's here. And you have this picture of 450 prophets just calling, Baal, answer us. Answer us. Baal, answer us. And then, you know, Elijah says, shout louder, Baal, answer us. And then they get to the point where it's, it's just getting later and later in the day, and, and they begin to dance around doing hip-hop moves and all sorts of stuff. And they're dancing, proving that they, they have, you know, they have different things, and, like, they're more powerful, you know, and it's, it's whatever it is. And, uh, and, and if they want God to move, and it gets to the point where they can't offer any more cool dance moves. They can't offer any louder voices, because if you can't scream louder than you've already screamed at the loudest, what else do you do? You cut yourself. Because that's the, the only thing else you can do is offer blood. Because you don't know where you stand. And so they start cutting themselves as was their custom. And then it, what does it say? No one paid attention. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And Elijah finally gets up. He sees the altar. He goes, this is too easy. Wait. <laughs> Uh, that's cool. That was a good show. I love the dance moves. Um, put some water on it. Yep, drench it. Let's go. They, they bring all these buckets of water. They, they dump it on this fire. And then, remember, they're trying to make fire. What do you not put on a fire? Water. And so uh, three times they bring buckets and buckets until there's a moat around the altar. And then we read Elijah. And Elijah just simply says this in verse 37 of chapter 18. He says, answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The story reveals to us what it's like to worship and operate gods, uh, worship gods with different perspectives, to, to operate our lives with inaccurate views of God. How, I mean, let's be honest about our views of God. We do carry these inaccurate, distorted views. And, but if you look back thousands of years ago at the primitive consciousness, they're worshiping cow gods. How do you relate to a god that's a cow? Seriously think about that. I mean, just think from our sophisticated context for a moment. How would you begin to relate to a cow god? I mean, how would you worship a cow? How, would you, how do you talk to that cow? Answer me, oh cow god. Hear me, you of hefty size. Or whatever, you know, it's like, I love the way 
you eat hay or whatever they eat. You know, it's like there's, you can't relate to those things, right? And, and we talk about mystical gods and these spiritual things, and you can't really relate to that. And so it's difficult to operate our lives without understanding who God is and what he's like. And, and let's be real. We all have a primitive consciousness. How many of us are operating our prayer lives like the prophets of Baal? God, answer us. Bless us. I'm going to give you more and more of my time. I'm going to read more scripture. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray so that you will bless my dreams of this house. I'm, I, God, I really need a job. So I'm just going to wait. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait, so we just wait, and wait. I'm going to fast now. No, he wants more waiting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to do all these things to try to move him to a response. Only to recognize that he's always speaking. But we're not listening. And the voices we're hearing are not his voice in our life. They're distorted. They're inaccurate. We manage our lives. When it comes to even the God that we worship, like the prophets walking, God, I just want to be good enough. If I just give you more of my money, if I just give you more time, then, then you're going to bless my life. Or I better not sin because then, then down the road I'm never going to have a wife. That's what's going to happen because that's how God is. But that's not how God is. That's not how he's revealed in the scriptures. Yet we operate our lives this way, do we not? Or am I just talking to myself? We, we see a God who is, who is different, and this is the God I want to talk about, that in the scriptures we see God is not, uh, we are not in pursuit of God. God is in a loving, relentless pursuit for us. The scriptures reveal a God who is desiring us. He's longing for us. He's after our hearts. He's trying to communicate his love. He's done everything he possibly can to go after our hearts, to speak to us, to show us. And it shows this from the beginning of scriptures. If you would, go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We see that the Jewish mindset for, for Elijah to simply sit and say, God, do this. He knows something fundamentally true about who God is. In Genesis, it reveals that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, this is really good news. We are not accidents. We are not products of chance and randomness. God created us because he desired us. He desired relationship. He loved us. He wanted to be in right relationship from the beginning. He created us to be in right relationship from the beginning. And it says, the earth was formless and uh, empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God hov was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. The God that's revealed in the Christian scriptures and the Jewish scriptures, Genesis chapter one, is a God who, whose words create worlds. Whose words bring life. Our God speaks and stuff happens. He doesn't have to conjure up the energy. He says it and it is. This is the God we're talking about. That from the beginning, his divine active inter intervention was involved in creation. He was active in every part of creation. He's, he's currently active. And the Jewish understanding is that uh, the, the first thing they know about God is that he speaks. And stuff happens. He speaks words, and words become worlds, and he becomes the life force, the creative energy that sustains all of life. Now, from the beginning, we're designed to live in perfect relationship, and we know that sin entered into the world, and that relationship was distorted and ruined. And the story continues, and God speaks to Abraham, 
And remember, God calls Abraham. He speaks to him and says, uh, you're going to be a family that blesses all other families, a nation that blesses all other nations and, nations. and through Abraham, the people of Israel are formed. And Israel is freed from Egypt and goes to Mount Sinai where, where once again, at the mountain, God brings the law, the first five books of our Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now stay with me because this makes complete sense at the end. Here's a historical lesson. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books of the law, the Torah, were known to the Jewish community as words of life. What marked the Jewish community from every other nation in the world? God spoke to them. And gave them words that if they would live their life around, they would live the life that is really life. They would live in such a way that would reveal that there is a God. And they chose to live. um, God said, if you obey me fully, if you listen to what I've commanded. But did they listen? Did the Israelites listen? Do we know the Old Testament? Let me sit down. How many of you went to basics? The class I've been teaching. Yes, no, they didn't listen. They didn't listen. So God speaks to them again through prophets and says, turn from your evil behavior, turn from your ways. And they don't listen to the prophets, they kill them. They put them in prison. And finally, God's fed up, so God, what does he do? He sends a a foreign superpower in and destroys the temple. And the people go in exile. And the Israelites are once again slaves to a foreign nation. And here in exile, they, uh, the prophets emerge and they begin to talk about a time when God would restore them back into right relationship. That God would one day send a Messiah, a Savior, to redeem them. That one day, God would bring a new law. And that law wouldn't be written on tablets of stone, but the law would be written on their hearts. They wouldn't have a dead spirit, they'd have a, or they wouldn't have a, a heart of flesh, they'd have a new heart. The spirit of God would be marked by them. God would forgive their sins and restore them once and for all and a, a free anyone that's oppressed anywhere. And then they come back, the people out of exile, they come back to Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple, they rebuild the walls, and they come and they're expecting these amazing miracles and it doesn't happen in the Old Testament. They're still waiting because God speaks in silence. How many of you know God speaks in silence? And the book of the Old Testament ends in Malachi, and then there's 400 years of silence. Nothing, not a word about God and the people of God until we get to John chapter one. And it says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In other words, that the the God that created all things in the beginning is the God that in John 1 became flesh and blood, Jesus, and became the revelation of who God is. You see, brothers and sisters, this is what's so profound about Christianity. We don't have to question what God's like. Jesus reveals that to us. Where you can't relate to a distant father God, you can't relate to a mystical spirit God, or especially the cow God. You can relate to a God that takes on flesh and blood and moves into the neighborhood. This is the Christian story. What does God speak? Jesus. What does God speak over and over again? Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh 
and blood and made his dwelling among, among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the embodiment of the law. Jesus is the revelation of God. Hebrews chapter one says in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We all carry dysfunctional views of God into our relationship with God. But all we need to do is look to Jesus and we no longer have to be confused. We no longer have to carry on these painful past understandings of God because of the church or because of our past relationships. We can look at Jesus in the scriptures and see what God is like. And he's so much better than what we think he is. When you read the New Testament, you see a God who is relentless and getting away of all the misunderstandings. He's doing away with them. He leaves no room for misunderstanding. There's no room to question whether or not she means she wants me to choose or figure out what her secret really is about where she wants to eat. He leaves no room for that. It, sa it says in the scriptures that Jesus, he reveals a God who is like a generous king who forgives a debt the size of a national debt. And in one particular case, it's the lifetime sins of a prostitute. Jesus reveals what God is like when he says God is like a, a shepherd who leaves the 99 healthy protected sheep and goes after the one and lonely lost sheep. What kind of God would do that? That's unfair to the 99 who are comfortably sitting. God is like is full of generosity, he's full of intimacy, or uh, infinite mercy. He's like a, a, a father whose son squandered away his inheritance, and when the son comes back expecting to receive shame and condemnation, the father runs out, wraps his arms around his son, and says, my boy, welcome home, and throws a party. You see, Jesus reveals this God who is far more gracious, loving, and kind than we can ever imagine. We don't hear the words he speaks because our distorted views get in the way of listening to the voice of God. When you read the scripture, you see a God who weeps for a friend who passed away. You see a God full of compassion, a God who's moved with compassion, a God who is... Um, uh, uh, who loves his enemies, a God who hears the prayers of sinners and tax collectors, and in our context, drug dealers and murderers. We see a God who says, I am willing, be clean. We see a God who says, who turns around and says, who touched me? Who touched me? We see a God, God who says, son, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. We see a God who says, um, ask, and it will be given to you. We see a God who says, you feed them. Take courage. I am with you. We see a God who says, it's finished. We see a God who says, go, for I will be with you always. What are you hearing? What kind of voice are you listening to? Do you hear the God that Jesus reveals or something else? What do you hear? Jesus reveals to us what God would say because he is the word. He is the image of the invisible God. He is everything. And all of our distorted images of God must lay aside to the grand picture, which is Christ, that has been revealed in human history. So when we talk about God and when we talk about hearing his voice, we're talking about this kind of God that is longing to speak to us. We're talking about this kind of God that is longing to remind us of who we are. We're talking about the kind of God that whispers deep into your soul, you are my son, you are my daughter, the beloved. With you I'm well pleased. 
A God who is desperate for you to hear the reverberating sound of his I love you, of his come home. A God who is delighting in you. A God who says you are good enough. A God who says come just as you are. A God who calls you out of death into life. A God who is longing to speak into your soul. And the problem is we're not listening. Are you listening to this God? Are you listening to the God who speaks our belovedness as we walk around in circles? Are you listening to the God who says you're good enough just as you are as we try desperately to earn favor? What are you listening to? Are you trying to earn it? Or do you hear his voice? There are so many ways to hear God's voice. And tomorrow or next week, we're going to talk about ways to hear God's voice. And the truth is, you can hear God in so many ways. I promise you, he speaks in creation. He spoke through his son. He speaks through the word of God. He speaks to us in prayer. We can hear God's voice in prayer. God is so desperate for us to hear him that he'll use strangers to speak words of knowledge in a community, a community that's full of the spirit. I asked this at the last service. I'm just curious. How many of you have ever come up for prayer or ever came forward to pray for somebody and you heard a word of knowledge that somebody, some stranger said something, prayed for you about something that there's no way on God's earth they could have got because they didn't know you. Anyone have that here? Look around real quick. Look around. Do you know why? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he will do everything he can to remind you that he loves you just as you are, not as you should be. He'll do everything he can so you can hear it loud and clear. Sometimes he'll, he'll speak to you through a kind word about turning your cup upside down. Sometimes he'll give you a picture in your head in the back of a room. Sometimes you'll be on a train in the middle of nowhere and he'll plant a seed for your destiny. That's how God operates and works. And we can learn to hear that. But it all starts with what kind of God you are worshiping. What kind of God are you listening to? Because if you open yourself up to God and say, God, speak to me. And if the thing that you hear is anything other than you are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. Then you're listening to the wrong God. Romans says it like this. In chapter 8, Paul, speaking to a, a church community in Rome, says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So as we think about the fear and anxiety, as we walk around in circles trying to ma manage and navigate life, Jesus reveals through his Spirit in us that we are his children. Are you hearing his voice? Are you listening to that God? I want to invite you to listen. And here's why. The moment you walk out of these doors, you will begin to hear voices. <laughs> Am I the only one that hears voices in their head? <laughs> the moment you walk out of these doors, because you know, what comes after Sunday? Monday, that's good, okay. We're, we're all part. What comes after Sunday? Monday, thank you for participating. When Monday comes, there will be voices surrounding your life that will tell you you're not good enough. There will be voices surrounding your life that will say who you are is what you do. 
Your value is based on how much you earn, on what you look like, on who you know, on how many likes you get, on what they say about your presentation, how much money you make. There are voices speaking loudly in our lives. But we want to silence those voices and listen to the voice of God who whispers to our soul that protects us from those voices and simply says, I love you. You're my boy. You're my girl. Listen, you're my boy. You're my girl. You're my boy. You're my girl. You can't do enough. You've already have, you already have my favor. I love you just as you are. To hear God's voice, whether we want direction for a job, whether we want to start listening to God and pray for people on Sundays and take that to the streets and witness to people, whether we're just looking for guidance and direction, whether we're praying for an outcome, to hear his voice, we have to know what kind of God we're talking about. I want to invite you to listen to that voice. It's, it's very simple. He says, I love you. You close your eyes. We're going to invite the prayer team up. I'm just going to invite you to sit for a second. It's, it's very easy to just check out now and get ready for the week. I just want to invite you to close your eyes, breathe in deeply, and invite God to speak to you. What is it that you're longing to hear? What is it you're searching for? What's the answer to that deep desire, that question that's haunted you, the fear that you're overwhelmed with, the anxiety you live with? What are you listening for? Now, if you'd be courageous, keep your eyes closed. I want to pray for some of my brothers and sisters this morning that have had words spoken over their lives, words they've embodied that have marked their present condition, something from their past that has lived with them in such a way that they can't identify themselves apart from this word. And it could be a word like divorce, adultery, abortion. Could be words spoken by parents in your, when you were a child that you've lived with, words that have marked your life, disappointment, dumb. And the truth is you can't keep living with those words over your life. Because if they become banners, then you miss the banner that he places over you, which is loved. And if you're here and you would be so courageous to stand so we could pray that God would do what only he can do. 
and take down those words of shame and pain in your life that have marked your seasons. We'd love to pray for you. Would, would you just be courageous and model hearing and obeying, hearing God's voice as he speaks to you and standing in response to listen to him. Thank you so much for your courage. Just invite you to stand wherever you're at. I'm not gonna ask anything crazy. We're just inviting you to respond. Thank you so much. Such courage to do this publicly. I know from experience how hard it is to be vulnerable when you carry around heavy words that have marked your life for a long time. And I'm gonna invite you and our prayer team. Our prayer team, would you come down now? I'm gonna invite you guys to come forward and get prayer. Um, we, we did, there were a lot of people at the first service that stood and we just had a beautiful time of, of ministry where we just prayed. We're not gonna ask you what you need prayer for. We're just gonna bless you and pray covering and, and healing over you that God would replace those words with his words. So if you would, wouldn't mind coming forward right now and we'll stand in this front area. Our prayer team's gonna come down now as well. And the rest of us, can we stand together? Look at our brothers and sisters. They're, they're being so brave and courageous. Um, and we're gonna have the prayer te worship team begin to worship and we'll worship together. But if you need prayer, just come forward and just wait here for a while, guys. We don't need to hurry off. If you need prayer, just stand here and receive and let lots of people pray for you. Um, let me pray for us as we worship. Jesus, thank you that you are the revelation of God, that you reveal to us how good and beautiful our God really is that you don't stand with condemnation and judgment, but that you took our place. While we were enemies, you died for us so that we could be freed and restored into right relationship, so that we could be healed of our past to interfere with our present and give us a bright and great future. I pray for my brothers and sisters today that you would break through and heal, begin to heal those wounds in your name. Amen. Okay, prayer team, would you just jump in and pray? We need some if you're a community group leader too, would you mind coming down and pray? We need some help. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.